So uh, uh, for some of you, this is your first time, and this means nothing for others of you. Um, you're probably wondering why we're on the ground. Um, and there's a couple different reasons. I'm going to let you handle that because I will break it. Um, primarily being this. Oh, as the church started, we're a three-year-old church plant. When the church started, we started out of our house. And obviously there was no stage, there was no platform, there was a living room. Um, and then we, once we were in the other room, we moved once. Again, there was no stage, no platform. We just all on the same level. Uh, and for us, that meant something. There was a symbolism there that like we're no, I, I, because I'm on stage, because Matt's on stage, like we're no better than anyone else. We're all doing this together. Um, and then when the Lord opened the opportunity for us to meet in here, um, there was a stage. So we gave it a shot. And uh, one of the things that we just kept feeling, Matthew and I, and some of us as we kept talking, is we just felt like we were unapproachable, that there was this uh, built-in hierarchy here. Like we're up here, you're down there. And, and that's never what we wanted. Uh, so we're, we're experimenting moving down to the fore for this reason that we can just, um, even from a subconscious uh, symbolism show, we're, we're all in this together. We're all saints trying to make disciples who make disciples. Um, I'm not throwing shade or, or casting any, like, if your church at home or the church, I'm not saying that stages are bad. And I'm not saying that we're going to be here forever on the ground. And if we move venues that we might not get back on the stage. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not creating a new rule for us as a church. Um, but just know our heart. We're not just coming down here for um, just the heck of it. We're coming down here to try to symbolize and try to get on the same plane. Does that make sense? Because trust me, I am no better than you. Come hang out and you'll figure it out. If you have your Bibles, Luke 11 is where we're going to land this morning. Um, as you know, or some of you know, we've been just kind of working through the book of Luke. And, and last week we dealt with a really tough text. Um, you can go back, if you weren't here, you can go back to the podcast and check that out if you want to. Uh, it was a fun one to teach uh, because we got to really understand who is God and who are we and, and are we fully in, are we fully committed, and we'll hear a good testimony about that here in a little bit. Uh, but this week it's going to be a little easier. Are you guys ready for a short sermon? Sure. All right, this one's going to be a little, a little shorter. Uh, now I understand because of our makeup there's a little bit of a generation gap here. Um, so we're heavily college, and as more families start to come in, that's what we want, that's what we're praying for. But I fully realize not everyone in this room knows what a hashtag is. Will we agree? I mean, would, would a brave um, person just admit, I don't know what you mean when you say hashtag? Raise your hand. Does everyone know what hashtags are? All right, so th there's a few. Um, what you might know a hashtag as is a pound symbol on your phone, right? What happened to the pound, or a number sign? What the cool kids do these days is a thing called this, hashtag, right? Now, the purpose of hashtag, a lot of people don't really quite understand, and if you're one of those uh, social media posters that put 30 hashtags per post, stop it. No one likes when you do that. Quit. One or two is suffice. Quit doing all that stuff. But the purpose of a hashtag, um, and where's Ricky? Ricky handles our social media, um, so he kind of gets all this. Do you actually hashtag anything? Never, okay. The purpose of a hashtag is so that um, all across the country, friends, no friends, it doesn't matter um, if you're friends, if you're not friends, not if you don't have any friends. You can put a hashtag up and then someone can click on this hashtag and everyone that's put that hashtag up, you can see what they're talking about. Um, so for us, we have, my family has the hashtag, the Dodd Squad. Um, so that at any point I can go onto Facebook and click on that hashtag and all the pictures that we tagged, the Dodd Squad, will pop up. 
Um, you can hashtag dogs win, right? Because UGA is 7 and 0. Oh, so, like, if you hashtag dogs win, click on dogs win, you'll see all these different posts. Now, here's my pet peeve. Can I just tell you the one that I cannot stand? Hashtag blessed. Hashtag. So, so let me just read to you some of the hashtag blessed. Reese's cups are coming stuffed with Reese's pieces. Hashtag blessed. Does anyone else say Reese's pieces instead of Reese's pieces? Pieces is so much funner to say. Okay, here's another one. Finally, my mom caved and let me get mechanical pencils this year. Hashtag blessed. Really? Mechanical pencils. Here's one that I know some of you girls have put up this year. I'm going to call you out. Pumpkin spice latte. Hashtag blessed. Any brave soul want to admit that they've done that this year? Don't forget, there it is. Thanks, Ricky. Um, here's another one. Walked into the store looking for an auxiliary cord, came out with a waffle iron. Hashtag blessed. What? It doesn't even make sense. And on this one, there particularly one, I don't know who this girl is. Like, she's probably listening to our podcast in California and getting really made fun of or offended that I'm making fun of her. But there's actually a picture of her posing with her new waffle iron. What? I, I don't understand. So here, here's what I'm trying to get at. None of these people understand what blessed is. It's just, it's just and, and even just in Southern culture, we all have this kind of, I'm just too blessed to be stressed. And we just throw that word out like it means whatever we want it to mean. So this morning, what I want us to look at is biblically, what does this word blessed actually mean? And how do we live a blessed life? Because I promise you it has nothing to do with pumpkin spice lattes or mechanical pencils. Or waffle irons. I love a good waffle, don't get me wrong. But that's not what blessed means. So Luke 11, we're just going to cover two verses, 27 and 28, this morning. Luke 11, 27 through 28. And while you're flipping there, I'll kind of set up the context for what's happening. Uh, last week we had saw that Jesus had just casted out a demon. Um, the man was mute and dumb. Uh, and so he had casted out this demon and all these people saw it take place and were marveling. But there was this group of the haters, the Pharisees and the religious guys that had wanted nothing to do with Jesus, uh, tried to test him. And so Jesus dropped this huge bomb on them that if you're not for me, you're against me. There, there's no middle ground. And so as this is all taking place, we pick up right here where I'm just setting the scene. Huge crowd is there. Some of the crowd loves them. Some of the crowd is neutral to them. Some of the crowd can't stand them. And what this lady says is about to set us up for this morning. So verse 27, chapter 11, verse 27. And as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But Jesus looked at her and said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed rather. So this word rather saying you're not wrong, but rather there's a more full answer. There's a more complete answer to what it looks like to be blessed. And so we know, or a lot of us know, um, that Mary was the mother of Jesus. So this lady is calling out Mary saying, Mary is so blessed Blessed are the ones that nursed you. Blessed is the womb that carried you. That woman, your mom, is blessed. Now, my mom is in this room, and no one would say, look at Gabe, your mom is so blessed. They'd say, oh, honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to raise that boy, right? So here's just some context clues that we have to start to pick up. 
if you didn't, if you had no framework for what blessed mean, what it looked like, what, if you had no context for that, just based on this story, what conclusions would we draw? No context, no anything. What context clues? What does it mean to be blessed? So for Mary, she was blessed because how great Jesus turned out. So she was blessed because the Son of God, God chose Mary to give birth to Jesus. So she is blessed because of a conditional thing that happened to Mary. So if you're in that crowd and you're a mom, and you hear, blessed is Mary for you, she produced Jesus, you're going to go, man, <laughs> my kids are morons. I guess I'm not blessed. My, my kids can't do anything. So if that's the scale for blessed, I'm done. Or what would you do if you're a mom in this room uh, or in this crowd that was barren? They, they had no children. Blessed are the you because you gave birth to Jesus. And I'm sitting here going, I can't give birth. I'm, I'm barren. So I guess I can't be blessed. What does, this, what does this mean? And here's the, the big turning point, the question we have to ask. Would this same woman walk up to Mary as Mary's watching her son die on the cross and say, you're so blessed? As she's watching her son be beaten to death, would this same woman walk up to Mary and say, you're so blessed for having Jesus. Blessings upon you, you are blessed. So is blessing, is being blessed conditional? Blessed is Mary, for she had you. Is, is it being conditional, or is it an if-then statement? If you do this, you are blessed. If you don't, then you're not blessed. What does this actually mean? And so thankfully, Jesus just outlined blessings perfectly. This is exactly what it means to be blessed. Any type A'ers in the room? Type A people? Okay, I'm on the floor now so I can see you, so I'm going to need some more participation. That's why we kind of did this thing. Let me try this one more time. Any type A'ers in the room? Raise your, oh, thank you. Kimberly, thank you. you. Do you raise your hand often in class? Yes, I can tell. You've got the proper form, right angle right here. That you just got it, okay? So the type A'ers in the room, you're going to love this sermon because it's very formulaic. It's very cut and dry. Jesus goes straight to the point and said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those, so what does it mean to be blessed if you hear the word of God and keep it? It's that simple, and we'll get into this. But the first question that we have to ask is, what does blessed mean? Can we define, can we give a definition to what blessed mean? Because there's a few times that Jesus teaches on this. I mean, if you flip back in Luke, he goes through the Sermon on the Mount and throws out some crazy statements. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, right? Uh, blessed are the humble, and that's not what we typically think of when we think of blessed. We think of people that are fortunate, that are rich, that are well off, that have everything. And Jesus is going, no, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek, the humble. It's a different framework for blessedness biblically. And even the subcaption of this uh, story is true blessedness. So if you were to take this word back to the Greek, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because I'm not Greek, I'm very white, um, here's what this word means, fully satisfied. So if you were to change that word out and say, fully satisfied are the ones that hear the word of God and keep it. Full satisfaction is found in the ones that hear the word of God and keep it. But here's the truth. We live in America and we're never satisfied. So if we go back and look at some of these hashtags, um, 
Pumpkin spice latte is only here for a season. I had breakfast with a guy named Ben who works at the Starbucks in Dawsonville, and he said, if you want pumpkin spice latte, you better go now because the syrup's about to run out, and they don't make any more syrup. You're welcome. Pumpkin spice, only here for a limited time, but could you imagine those that love pumpkin spice lattes drinking that every single day of your life? Disgusting. Do you know how much sugar is in pumpkin spice lattes? And faultsness, just disgusting paste that just fills your intestines. So if you drank a pumpkin spice every day of your life, would you actually be fully satisfied? Or would you take a, taste a sip of pumpkin in about a year and literally throw up everywhere? I would go the other way. Maybe not even six months, three months. For some of us, the first taste. Have you ever seen the inside of a pumpkin? Gross. That's what you're drinking. So, fully satisfied. Is there a way for us to be fully satisfied forever? Fully satisfied forever. The most common hashtag blessed I saw was centered around finances. So just think about it. Just do a a mental experiment for me for a second. I'm not going to cast stones on you right now. I just want you to think. If you were to create a hashtag, if you were to put a picture up on social media or write a post and you were to hashtag it blessed, what would it be centered around? What, What would your Facebook posts say? This happened, therefore I'm blessed. Maybe you take a picture of your family and put it up. Hashtag blessed. I'm sure some of us have done that. I just got my first full-time job out of college. Hashtag blessed. I just got a big promotion at work. Hashtag hashtag blessed. I just got a C on an exam. I thought I was going to fail. Hashtag blessed. Right? Now, is the truth behind all those hashtags actually revealing an idol? That if I didn't have these things, I wouldn't be satisfied. If I didn't have a family, if I didn't have a job, if I didn't have money, if I didn't get good grades, then I would not be satisfied. Is that pulling at some idols within our hearts? The saying, for me to be fully satisfied, I have to be making money. For me to be fully satisfied, I have to have a family. I have to have adventures. I have to have good grades. I have to fill in the blank. And what that exercise is going to do is help us to reveal our idols. What is actually satisfying us? I mean, you could go the other way. What keeps you up at night? What makes you angry? What makes you worry? What makes you fearful? Those are the things you're looking to to satisfy you. And Jesus is telling us there's no satisfaction in that. If you look at Mary, eventually her satisfaction is going to run out. Eventually she's going to see her son murdered and she's not going to be satisfied anymore. So what does it actually mean to be satisfied? I think the biggest issue that we start to wrestle with in satisfaction is we start to compare ourselves to one another. If you didn't know what your friends were making grade-wise, would that bother you or your grades? If you didn't see what your friends around you were driving, would it bother you about how much money you made? If you didn't see the pictures that people put up on social media, would you feel like your life was worse off than theirs? We're constantly comparing. We're constantly not satisfied. And the lack of satisfaction comes from us comparing ourselves to one another. Galatians 6, 4-5 puts it this way. 
But let each of us test his own work. And then he will have a reason to boast in himself alone and not in his neighbor. What he's saying is, worry about yourself. Don't compare yourself. Don't boast because of how bad your neighbor is. You will always find someone that you're better than, period. Unless you're in solitary confinement in prison, you will always be able to find someone that you're better than. So Paul is saying, Galatians, don't do that. Don't compare yourself to one another. For each of one will have to bear his own load. It's solely up to you. Don't compare yourself. Don't judge your satisfaction, your happiness, your joy based on what others have around you. Worry about yourself. What satisfies you? And it's not what you think. It's not what you think. So, full satisfaction comes from hearing the word and keeping it. So what does it mean then to hear the word? What does this actually mean for us to hear the word? Uh, two, two thoughts there. Um, to hear means to listen and to consider. So what Jesus is asking us to do is to listen to the word and to consider. Now we have to remember the crowds that he's preaching to was, was the Bible written then? No, of, of course not. The Bible is still writing itself. The stories were still taking place. So he's saying, listen to the word, the tradition of the Old Testament, would the Old Testament be read out loud? Listen to it. Listen to my words, but don't just listen. Actually consider it. But, but here's what's happening. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make fun of myself because I'm the same way. My posture of my heart this morning is to not hear the word of God, it's because I'm supposed to be here. Anyone else? I mean, we've walked into this room not actively thinking that we're going to hear the voice of God through his text. What is your motivation for walking in here? Now, I'm glad you're here. Don't get me wrong. Don't, don't take this the wrong way. But I'm asking you to ask yourself the hard questions. Why are you actually here? Why are we actually gathering together? Are we here to actively hear the word of God? The same God that created all the heavens, all the earth, everything we see around us. Did we actively walk into this room thinking, hoping, and expecting to meet God? To hear from him? And I think we're, we can be on the same page because a lot of times I don't. You know where my mind was. I was praying back there before I came up here. Can I just be straight where my mind was? Um, right here where Ben's sitting. We moved these tables back because I had this incredible idea because I have great ideas. I'm that kind of guy. My ideas always work. They're always awesome and they're incredible. Not really. We actually had to move this table because we tried to hang a light from the gym and we moved the table. So just in case my great idea failed, it wouldn't kill anybody on the way down. So as I'm preaching, or as I'm praying to get ready to come up here, my mind is racing to, how can we do this better? What would it look like next week? What could we do this and this and this and this? Does that even matter in the scope of us opening the Bible together and hearing what he has to say to us? So I'm in the back repenting, God, would you get this out of my mind? Would you help me stop thinking about this? Because this has no bearing on true blessedness that I'm about to teach on. It's a light. Doesn't matter. And that's Connor. If Connor gets hit, it's fine. He's pretty tough, right, Connor? Yeah, so, I mean, whatever. What is he gonna sue us for? Here's the $10 that church has. Take it and go with it. 
But we all do that. We all walk into this room. We all walk into a gathering of the saints. And hardly none of us are actively coming in to meet with the king. And and here's how I know this. You're going to be so critical of what I say. Some of you in this room are judging me so hardcore because I made this joke or that joke or whatever. There's no grace to be shown. Are we actively coming to meet with the king, to hear his words? What is the posture of our heart? If true blessedness, if full satisfaction comes from hearing from God, from hearing, then shouldn't we put a pretty big stamp on this? Any married guys out there? Okay, single dudes, raise your hand. This one's for you. When your wife speaks, listen. Now I know, I know you're all gonna think, I'm a great multitasker, I do it all the time. No, you're not. When your wife talks, listen to her. And here's what's gonna make her gloat. Here's what, you're gonna be the best husband, you're welcome for this. Husbands, take notes. When your wife finishes speaking, Jane Hannah, this is just a foreshadowing of your premarital tonight. Here's what I want you to say, husbands. What I heard you say was, and repeat it back to her. Oh, you listened. You cared. Because when someone that we value speaks, we listen. When someone that we value speaks, we take time and we listen. So how much we do or do not listen to Scripture is an exact uh, barometer of how much we value our relationship with God. When someone that we value speaks, we listen. Now let me push just a little harder and then we'll move on to the next point. And I'm guilty of this too. Just again, this is probably of all this sermon, this is probably the worst part for me. If... And there's statistics here, and I didn't want to bore you guys with statistics, but if the only time you actively open your Bible and hear from God is on a Sunday morning, something is not right. And if the only time you hear from God is listening to a sermon every now and then, whether it be here, whether it be a podcast, you're not actively hearing for yourself. You're spiritually anemic. And here's how I see this fleshed out all the time. And it's happened a few times here. It just happened in the church. Here's how the word gets thrown around. Pastor, I'm leaving your church because I feel like I'm not getting fed. Now, again, not stepping on some toes, but I'm sure some of us have probably said that somewhere along the line. Now, I I get it. I've sat in front of guys that are just not qualified. I call them the American Idol preachers, right? Like, how did you get this far in ministry? Someone should have told you this is not your gifting. Hang it up and go do something else. I'm I'm not saying that every single pastor is incredible and we should sit under teaching. There's a lot of heresy. There's a lot of false teachers. But here's what I am saying. And And I lovingly say back to them when they say, I'm not getting fed here. I said, great. Man, well, tell you about your quiet time. Tell me about your time in the Word throughout the week. Tell me, tell me about that. And here's the typical response I get. It's a bunch of hee-hauling. Do you all know what that means? Well, pastor, I mean, here, here's what I'm doing. I, I've been reading through the book of Luke. Oh, that's interesting. That's what we're teaching through. What was the last thing you read? Oh, you know, Luke 11 is where I've been. You know, like just considering what a meal with Jesus would look like. Oh, that, that's crazy. That's, that's what we're doing, right? There's just a bunch of hee-hauling around. What they're saying is, I don't have one. I'm not spending any time alone 
And if they're still not getting it, I just keep, uh, I, I say lovingly, but it's actually passive aggressiveness. I keep just kind of diving in going, man, like, let me just tell you about my kids. I've got a one-year-old, a, or almost one-year-old, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, and a six-year-old. Here's one of the developments I can tell within my kids is when they can start to learn to feed themselves. That's when I know they're maturing. My six-year-old can go in the morning and get cereal and get milk and, and make herself a bowl of cereal by herself. She knows how to feed herself. She doesn't necessarily need us to feed her all the time. She's starting to mature in that. But my one-year-old is fully dependent on us to feed her. Which one do you think you are? And that's typically when the conversation ends. Here's what I'm saying, church. If we're going to hear from God, if we're going to hear from him, blessed are those, fully satisfied are those who hear the word of God. It cannot happen once a week. And that cannot be from someone else's opinion on scripture. We have to hear it for ourselves. We have to grow in that. This is one of the huge reasons we gather in missional communities and we're going to be launching DNAs in a couple weeks. It's because we want to teach you how to hear from God yourself. You should not be dependent on a gathering like this for your spiritual growth. Tell me one thing, and then I'll drop this subject. Tell me one thing that you can do once a week and grow in. Tell me one thing that you can do once a week for 30 minutes and see growth start taking place. Church, that's not the way we're designed to work. We're spiritually anemic, and we're starving ourselves. And quit blaming the church for that. This is not supposed to fully feed you. You've got to hear from God yourself. Here's just a couple texts that I just want to capitalize on this. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the division of soul, or through the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and tensions of the heart. The Bible, if you read it for yourself, if you hear the word of God, it's going to pierce your heart. It's going to cut you deep and help you to grow. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God. We should value this. Uh, Psalms 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Church, are we hearing from God for ourselves? Again, I am a preacher. The proclamation of the gospel is super important. We see that biblically, but that is not it. This is not the ends of the means. And the last thing we have to understand is how to keep it. So full satisfaction comes from hearing the word of God and keeping it. So what does this actually mean? Do what it says. To keep it, to listen, to consider, and then to act. How the church would explain it, to know, to believe, and then to obey that we keep it, that we hear, we consider, and then we act. We do something with what we know. And so this is where we, again, we have to stop and read our own heart. What's keeping us from doing this? Is it fear? What happens, pastor, if I do what this Bible actually tells me to and I fail? You will. You're going to step out, you're going to do something, you're going to act in obedience, and you're going to fall flat on your face. Where does growth come from, though? Failures or successes? 
I mean, we cannot make fun of the disciples as we're going through Luke and not realize that that's us too. We cannot judge the Pharisees as we're going through the book of Luke and not realize that's us too. That's who we are. Obedience is going to look like failure way more than it looks like success. And here's where I think the church kind of goes awry. Again, I don't want you to misunderstand this. I love good doctrine, and I protect it, and I want to fight for it. I mean, just in two weeks ago, uh, me and another pastor in this area went to some of our brothers in the faith because we had concerns about what they were teaching and what they were doing. We just want to lovingly sit before them and say, we love the gospel too much for you to do what we think you're doing, so can you explain what's happening? Can you explain what you're teaching? Because we want to protect this thing. We're in the same tribe together. So I'm not saying that doctrine is not important, but here's what starts to happen. We argue and debate over things that don't matter so that we're not actively doing anything, but we think we are. So we have these conversations, we have these debates about theology and this and that. And again, I love theology, I love doctrine. I can sit there and talk to you about it all day. But theology that does not change the way you live is bad theology. If what you believe does not change what you do, then it's bad theology and you need to put it away and do something else. If your study of eschatology, which the end times, how the world is going to end, if that does not change how you share the gospel today, then you don't understand the gospel or the theology of eschatology. Are we tracking? So we can argue about theology, we can talk about it, but if it does not change the way we live, then we have to understand, church, that we're spinning our wheels, making ourselves feel religious without actively doing anything. So doing it, keeping it, obeying it does not mean we sit around in a holy huddle and talk about what it would look like if we did something. It means taking a step out, taking some chances, being brave for the gospel, even though failure is a real option, and we do what he's asked us to do. I love this. Jeff Vanderstilt has a quote uh, about the book of James. Has anyone ever read the book of James? We're about to read a quote from it. But here's what he always jokes around about, but it's not funny and it's very serious. James 1, take care of the widows and orphans. At that point in your Bible study of James, you should shut your Bible and you should go take care of the widows and orphans. You should figure out what it looks like for your Bible study to put down your Bibles and go do what it's asking you to do. Hear the word and keep it. Do something with it. Now, I, I, this is not in my notes, but let me just, I'm friends with a bunch of atheist people on Facebook, and, and I just love them sometimes because they're brutal honestly, honesty. Here's their latest uh, bandwagon they've been jumping on. Christians have to stop praying for things and actively doing something. Every tragedy that happens, every bad thing that happens in our country, Christians are really quick to start praying for it, which is good, and we should. But if we have more means to stop praying, or not just stop praying, but to additionally send money, send relief, send time, let's do it. The Bible never asks us to just pray for things, but if we are able to go serve, to go help. And when we're not able, we pray for God to do something incredible. So we've got to quit just praying. Let's pray and. Pray and take care of the widows. Pray and take care of the orphans. Serve the least among us. That's where satisfaction actually is found. 
and hearing the word and keeping it. Maturity does not mean knowledge, it means action. Maturity does not mean knowledge, it means action. And I could just put a tent and just camp out here all day. I don't care what you know, I care about what you do with it. And you should hold me to that same standard. Um, Listen, Jake Fromm, right? Georgia quarterback, doing some pretty cool things this season as a true freshman. Jake Fromm played a heck of a game last night. Now, what would you rather do? Um, Listen to me talk about the knowledge of a quarterback, because I played quarterback once, did you guys know that? Uh, Spring season, seventh grade, Milton Junior Eagles. I did. I was pretty good. Just wasn't tall enough. I couldn't see over my linemen, so they moved me. And I was a little fat, too. I think that's probably what it was. I think the coach was like, oh, you're just not tall enough. But what he meant was, yes, go play fullback, son. And I played fullback, and I got blindsided, and I was like, can I be a lineman, please? And that was the end of my career. So what would you rather do, though? Hear from or just watch Jake from play, watch him throw a 60-yard bomb, or listen to me talk about what it means to be a quarterback? Well, let's take me out of the question. What would you rather do, watch Jake Fromm play or him sit down in a Sunday service like this and tell you what it means to be a quarterback? Which is going to be more beneficial for you? It's to watch him play. What, what millennials want more than anything, I think because we have a college-age church, I get this question from a bunch of pastors, what do millennials really want? I mean, we're doing the lights and we're doing smoke machines and we're trying to play all this hip music. What do millennials really want? They want action. They want to get behind something. They want to see something take place. They want to see a move of God that they can be a part of. So we have to stop talking about it. We have to start doing something. And please hear me when I tell you, if your actions don't line up to what you say you believe, you're going to get called on it. And it might not be now, but eventually it's going to call you out. You could say all that you want, but if I hand you a quarterback and let you go play against six, nine linemen, and you get sacked right off the line, no one cares how much you know. So we have to keep it. Have to hear the word and keep it. Here's how James would argue this, James 1.22. But be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourself. So some of you guys probably saw a couple weeks ago, we commissioned in our elders. We have five elders. And one of the key points when we looked at Titus and Timothy is how you lead your wife and how you lead your household. If you cannot spiritually lead your household, you are not fit to be an elder. And I love this. I simultaneously hate it. But I love this attribute. I love that Paul included this because it, it takes out this whole fakingness. You can come into a Sunday environment and you can come up after this and you can tell me all the theological knowledge you know, but if I ask your wife and I ask your, ask your kids, do they really love the Lord, that's what's gonna find you out. That's what's gonna find us out as men. So Paul is saying, no, no, there's no fakingness as an elder of God. There's no fakingness for a deacon in the church. I'm gonna talk to your family and I'm gonna find out how you really love. Find out what you really keep. Are you hearing the word and doing it? If not, here's the truth, church. We're chasing everything else for satisfaction. We're chasing more spiritual knowledge will fully satisfy us. 
more of this will fully set, more how people view me, how people look at me, how people um, consider me, that's what's going to bring me satisfaction. Jesus is going, no, I'm, I'm, please hear me. I'm taking all that away from you. Full satisfaction, true blessedness comes from hearing the word and keeping it. Hearing the word and keeping it. Here's what I think we want to do as a church. Not just our church, as believers, as the church. We want to complicate things, don't we? And if you start to get into the root of why we actively want to complicate things, the, the roots that start coming out is fear, insecurity, that if I can keep you out here, if I can talk to you and keep you distant from me, then you won't actually know what's going on in my heart. So we're going to complicate things. We're going to make faith harder than what it really is. We're going to make true blessing and satisfaction to him harder than what it really is because the true definition of hearing the word and keeping it is too simple. So we're going to complicate things. We're going to change things around. We're going to make it more difficult than what Jesus has asked us. I mean, his yoke, Jesus teaches that his yoke is easy. His burden is light. It's not about all these rules, all these regulations. It's about hearing the word and keeping it. That's it. Don't overcomplicate it, church. Don't make it more complicated than what it is. What does it mean to have full satisfaction in this life? Hear the word and keep it. Is it going to be hard? Yeah, yeah. Some of that's going to be really hard. But the process is simple. Hear it and keep it. There's an old rabbi saying that says, uh, in olden days there were men who saw the face of God. Why don't they anymore? A young student asked. The rabbi answers, because nowadays no one stoops so low. No one stoops so low. Church, we've got to stoop low. We've got to humble ourselves. Quit acting like we know everything. Quit acting like we all figured out. And just keep it simple. Hear from God and keep it. Hear from God and keep it. So question for all of us to chew on as we start to wrap up. What's the last thing you've heard from God and you've done about it? And I'm not trying to make you guilty. I'm not trying to throw shame at you. It's just a genuine question. Because if it's been a while, then my next logical question would be how satisfied do you feel in your life right now? What, are you, what satisfaction are you chasing? Hear the word and keep it equals true blessedness, full satisfaction. And if you're unsatisfied, if you're chasing your tail trying to get happy, I'd say just put all that stuff down. Hear from God and do what he's asking you to do. So church, what is God asking us to do? Now, I know for some of us, you know exactly what it is right now in this moment. You, you're scared. Me too. That's why we need community. That's why we need missional communities where you can come into a safe place and say, hey, a uh, group of 15 to 20 people that I know love me incredibly much. This is what God has asked me to do. I'm terrified. Would you hold me accountable to this? You cannot do this life alone. And some of us have tried for too long. You need community. Is it going to be painful? Yes. Are people going to be poking and prodding at your sin and where you're already insecure? Yes. But isn't that the process of growth? Isn't that the process of sanctification? 
When you work out, you literally tear your muscles and they rebuild. That's where strength comes from. When you get into a community, there might be some tearing taking place. There might be some pride that's laid down. But we're helping to rebuild you. We've got to stoop low, church. We've got to stoop low. So here's how I want to end. Flip over just a couple pages to Luke 22. Luke 22, 19 and 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on your table, please take that one with you. It would be quite hypocrisy if I said, I want you to hear from God and not offer you a Bible. Please take that with you. Luke 22, 19 through 20. This is Jesus. And he, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this is the cup poured out for you as the new covenant of my blood. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to have communion open for the believers in this room. And here's what I want you to consider. What Jesus has asked us, hear the word and keep it. Jesus asked us, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. Remember what I've done for you. So as we're taking communion, church, I just want you to remember all that Christ has done to take your guilt, to take your sin, and to give you his righteousness. And so when we get the bread which represents this body, when we rip it, we're literally ripping Jesus. Not literally, I mean, that's, that's not actually Jesus. It's just a bread loaf. But we're taking it, that's what it's symbolizing. And when we dip it into the juice, it's symbolizing his blood. Let us remember all that he's done for us. And here's the thought to ponder as we're taking communion. How much of your salvation are you responsible for? How much of your body and your blood is on this table? And how much has Jesus done for you? Everything. So what changes this week when we remember all that God has done for us? Let's pray. Father, would you forgive us for overcomplicating your word? God, would you forgive us for trying to look spiritual just so that we can earn approval from men. Would you forgive us for thinking that if we just act this way and talk this way and dress this way, then we must be a good Christian. God, we long to hear from you because I know that there are people in this room that are not satisfied that life for them right now brings no joy and no satisfaction. That if they were honest with us in this room this morning, they would say that they have not been happy in years. They have not been satisfied in years. And so Father, would you forgive us when we look for answers over here and answers over there? Would you forgive us for looking for satisfaction everywhere else except for in you? That's so often we're like that woman that equates blessedness with good things, with conditional things. 
But Father, we know based on your truth that satisfaction comes from you and you alone. That you've designed us, that you've wired us a certain way. And what you're trying to do in love is to teach us and to tell us. Here's where satisfaction comes from. Just follow me. Just keep what I've asked you to do. So what, what is it, church? What has God been asking you to do that you're just afraid of? And, and maybe we haven't heard from God in a long, long time. Maybe the first step of obedience of hearing from God is sitting down with a Bible and a little bit of discipline and just reading. And when we get to something that God has asked us to do, shut the Bible and pray that God would give us the boldness to do it. But would we always remember, would we always come back to what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross? That what he's asking us to do is not to be legalistic, to follow these rules so that we appease him. He's saying, Paul, you're sin. I've paid the price and I just want you to be satisfied in me. And here's how it looks. So as we take communion, church, would we remember all that God has done for us. All that God is doing for us. We take communion in remembrance of that. Jesus, you made a way when there was no way. You became sin for us. And what you've asked us to do is to follow you anywhere you lead. So God, would you give us the boldness and the courage to do that for those of us in this room that already know what you've asked us to do and we've been running and we've been hiding and we've been making excuses and pushing back Father would we do it right now if we need to step outside before we take communion and make a phone call would we do it if there's someone in this room that we need to ask for forgiveness before we take communion would we do it would we act in instant obedience this morning Father we love you thank you so much for loving us it's in your name that we pray Amen.